Hey there, my name is Kim, and this is my podcast, Power Up Your Performance. I believe that we have the power to rewrite our stories, change the trajectory of our lives, pour love into the world, conquer monumental challenges, and that movement can be a catalyst for change. Let's grow together. Welcome to Power Up Your Performance. Hey, hey, welcome to the show. My name is Kim Peek, and I'm so excited that you're here today. We're a couple weeks into the new year now, and I want to know, how's your dream life looking? Have you made some steps in a positive direction? Are you still focused on your goals? As I mentioned a few episodes ago, I think that wellness is foundational to success in life. If you don't have great health, if you don't sleep well, if you're lacking energy, you're not going to be able to have the stamina or focus to make things happen in life. When I check in with my functional medicine doctor, which I do a couple of times a year, he likes to remind me that wellness is really pretty simple. It comes down to, are you eating food that nourishes you? Are you moving daily? Are you getting quality sleep? Are you taking care of your spirit? Are you getting out in nature? Are you connecting with other people and Is your environment healthy and does it support your goals? That's it. That's the high level view of what it takes to be well. It's not that complicated, but yet we seem to let all those messages and all the people coming at us this time of year get into our heads and complicate things. So I just want you to think about that. And this is very related to today's podcast guest, what she will be talking to you about. But in the spirit of creating your dream life, I want you to take a look at those areas and ask yourself how you're doing with each of them. Food, movement, sleep, nature, connection, and environment. Then just pick one of those things to put 1% more effort into each day for the rest of this month. If you're journaling, take some notes about where you are, jot some notes every couple days, and then just look at where you ended the month. Did you make any improvements? If you go through each of these things throughout the year and you make just a small improvement, you are going to see big changes in your health and how you feel and in your energy. So on that note, let's talk about today's guest. Kirsty Taylor is a holistic nutritionist, bridging science and spirituality. She empowers people to understand what their bodies are trying to tell them so they can heal their root causes. Because our bodies are always communicating with us, it's important to understand that these root causes are more than physical symptoms. And we need to also understand how our bodies need to heal on an emotional, mental, and energetic level. I love talking with Kirsty about gut health. And if you're even the slightest bit curious about gut health and all the nutritional aspects about looking at for root causes of things that are going on with your body, I encourage you to listen to this full episode. We had a great conversation and I'm sure that you'll pick up on some tips that will help you feel and function better. Welcome to the show, Kirsty. I'm so excited to talk to you. Yeah, this is going to be fun. 
Yeah. So we're talking about gut health today, but a lot of people might not even know that there is a such thing as gut health. I know I didn't until we had a couple of family medical situations that caused me to do some reading and learn a little bit more. Can you start off by just telling us what is gut health? Absolutely. I'm sure too, if you ask different people, you'll probably get different question, different answers to that question. Um, so I will do it how sort of I apply it in my practice. So for me, gut health really begins in our mouth and it ends in our bottoms. And pretty much because it's quite literally, we have one big tube that runs through us from our mouth to our bottoms. And I think a lot of people when they're thinking about gut health tend to think more about microbiome. That seems to be a very big, I want, I want to call it buzzword. It's probably not even a buzzword anymore, but definitely that's where the focus seems to be. And that microbiome, if you know or have heard of that, is actually lives in our large intestines. It's actually sort of only one really small part of the whole gut health picture. So the health and diversity of that microbiome is super important though, even though it is only one picture, it really does contribute a lot to overall health conditions. Um, we have a lot of research that's been done by um, different people in terms of what the microbiome can affect or can help us with. It literally has everything to do with our moods, our, if we're female, the way our hormones interact. It's got to do with our skin, our immune system. All of this really does come down to that microbiome, which is why I think a lot of people talk about it. But when we look at the whole gut health, it really does start with chewing our food properly because we need to start breaking it down. It comes from having a really strong acidic stomach environment. And a lot of people think, oh, I need to alkalize my body. And to a certain extent, yes, we don't want our whole body being acidic, but we really want our stomach to be super strong and acidic because it starts breaking down more of our food and then our small intestines absorb all our nutrients. So if that is not working great, we could be eating the best diet in the world and we don't actually absorb all that wonderfulness that comes from our food. And then, like I said, we need that nice balance of microbes in our large intestine to make sure that is working okay. So if any one of those areas isn't really working properly, you can probably see your health compromised a little. Way, way back when what they call the father of medicine, he always says that um, all health begins in the gut. And I absolutely 100% believe that. I think whenever I'm looking at um, anyone's health history, I always ask about their gut because ultimately, even though we may not think that the problem comes from the gut, I seem to find everything kind of comes back to it. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Having really good gut health um, from start to finish is super important. So how would somebody know that they don't have good gut health? What are some clues? Oh, my goodness. That could be a super big range of things. So everything from your typical, um, you have IBS type of symptoms, which if anyone who's got IBS will know, it's um, sometimes alternating constipation, diarrhea. It can be more one than the other. It's bloating, it's pain. So that's very common for poor gut health. It can be something like mood swings. So you're just not feeling as 
energetic maybe as you once were or you're not feeling as happy, as motivated, that can come back to your gut health headaches. Reoccurring headaches can be a big one. For um, skin health, if you've got eczema or psoriasis, um, rosacea, all of that can come back to your gut health. And again, for our hormones, um, because that um, microbiome in our large intestine can actually alter that for men and women, we can see problems with like excess estrogen. So in women, that might come up as really heavy, crampy, clotty periods. In men, that will show up as low testosterone. And that can, for men, can look anything like just not being motivated to do anything because that really is, I suppose, what their hormone is for outside of the reproductiveness of those hormones. So, yeah, it can show up in a lot of ways. (laughs) So I've never had a traditional doctor ask me about my gut health. You know, in my experience, they like to give you a lot of prescriptions to handle the headache or the what whatever issue that usually it's handled with medicine. So yeah. what kind of person do we see to begin addressing things like this? Well, I would have to say nutritionist because that's what I am. <laughs> um, but anything like um, more natural health based. So uh, nutritionist, naturopath. Um, acupuncturists or Chinese medicine will also look at that. They look at more of the whole energy system of the body as well, but they do know a lot of it does come back to um, the large and small intestines, but they also focus on a different way of doing that. So, but naturopaths and nutritionists um, definitely. And I think, I mean, I think I have this, I love doctors as well, but they don't ask questions like that. And in their defense, they don't have enough time to. Like if someone comes and sees me, I have an hour and a half for my first consultation. Like I get to ask lots and lots of questions and dive super deep into what I would call the root causes or the underlying cause of whatever's happening. Unfortunately, doctors don't get that. You can have integrative doctors and that would be an amazing place to also start if you wanted, you know, to dive deeper into maybe underlying causes Because again, they have the opportunity to ask more questions. That first consultation is is so much longer. So yeah, unfortunately, doctors don't have that. And because of that, they just give you symptom relief rather than going for root cause relief. So that would probably be the difference. Yeah. So let's say I show up to my friendly nutritionist. (laughs) dietitian or somebody. And so we're probably going to start off by talking food. Is that right? Yeah, I I would say generally talk about symptoms. So like, when did it start? Uh, How long has it been going on for? Like, when does it occur? So we really get a really good idea about like what it is that you are experiencing and what you're dealing with. And then we can usually find some clues from what you've said in that. We definitely, as a nutritionist, will always talk about the food someone eats, but it's really about diving into what is happening in the body and then using the food to support that. So as an example, if someone was coming with just like a picture of so common, like low energy, a little bit like lack of motivation, like those kind of symptoms, then they're just kind of like, you know, put on a little bit of weight, but I can't be bothered to exercise. And I know my food's not great. And I keep reaching for chocolate, you know, that kind of pattern that we can all get into. 
then sort of questioning around what is happening with that when they're experiencing what they're experiencing can be really good but then we look at food to support that and it might be that they do have a little bit of excess sugar in their diet and that is like that loop where we're feeling tired so we grab for the sugar and then you know that makes us then more tired so it's like this pattern of going around because unfortunately sugar can be quite inflammatory in the body and when we're talking about energy it's literally like chucking petrol on a fire um uh, yeah we get this like instant hit but it dies out pretty quickly where we want to look at something like wood <laughs> putting wood on our fire because that will actually keep us burning and having more energy for so much longer and that is where the food comes in so we can look at changing that up and if we link that back to our gut health when we are eating certain foods our microbiome changes. So as we're eating more sugary foods, because we're already talking about that, and I'm talking not sugars as in, you know, nice ones we get from our fruit and stuff like that. I'm talking processed sugars. So things that we find in some cereals and like maybe cakes and chocolate and places like that. It can actually alter our microbiome. So it changes. So the species that we have in our gut actually starts wanting to crave that chocolate more so then it basically changes us to want to crave that because that's what it lives on and it doesn't want to die so it wants more of those sugars and less of um, the other I suppose more satisfying longer foods that can give us more energy so yeah when we can look at sort of starting to change that um, we can then change the way people eat really slowly and change it. And so that would be how we would then use the food to support what was going on for whoever came to see us. So is are there lab tests involved or is it kind of like you do a health history and a symptom check or is there some sort of an elimination diet where you take out foods and add them back in? I mean, I guess there's lots of ways maybe to go about this. What is the typical starting point? You can absolutely do lab tests. Unfortunately, they are not very cheap. So it is something that I will go down um, a path if I think that we can't just do it on symptoms. But I find sometimes the labs will just confirm. And some people definitely need to see the bit of paper to know that something is wrong. I've had clients like that. I've been a client like that myself um, before I started to know more about this. So I absolutely 100% get that. And sometimes it's really nice to be able to look at something in your hand and be able to see where something might be wrong because doctors don't necessarily look at the same root causes that we will. I know that I've had clients, I've been one of those people myself that has gone to the doctor and, you know, gone with some symptoms and been like, I don't know what this is and I know it's not right. And they've done their tests and they're like, but you're not actually, nothing's wrong with you. I think medically wrong with you. So, but then if I, as a nutritionist or a naturopath or someone in the health space could look at that and whilst we can see there's nothing medically wrong, we can see that maybe some of those markers are not optimal for your health. So yes, it doesn't tip you into the, oh, I'm sick category, but it doesn't leave you feeling your sparkliest best too. And because we're also individual, that sparkly best is going to be different for everyone. So yeah, I think that is also where coming and seeing a more like health-directed rather than sickness-directed practitioner can be a little bit different. 
Um, so yeah, back to the testing. When we um, we would look, I generally go with symptoms first and really have a look at it. So if someone was coming to me and they felt like they were reacting to foods and they were cutting a lot of foods out, that can be a very common thing, especially with something like IBS, where you know it might start with the classic. Or if I eat too much onion, I feel a bit bloated and then it starts getting more and more foods. I've had people come to me literally only eating about five foods and I'm not even exaggerating because they were just reacting to everything else. Like those kind of people, it's a very long, slow build back. And I don't know if you need to test to be able to say that their gut is in a pretty bad way. So again, it's just about really supporting their whole gut and we would do that through the lining because it's just a lot of inflammation when you're someone's reacting that badly it's a sign of inflammation and I think that's with anything like if you find that you have coffee and it instantly runs straight through you that is your body telling you oh maybe that's not a good idea because there's some kind of inflammation going on that it doesn't like that coffee we find people that say they avoid things like tomatoes and chocolates because they're a little bit acidic and you know that causes them heartburn so they instantly think oh I should take a um, tablet or something like that to help lower my stomach acid where it's actually probably going to be the opposite reason we need to actually build up their stomach acid so really being able to listen to their symptoms we can kind of see where to go and if people, by the time they come to um, myself in particular with gut health, they've usually tried so many things beforehand. They've been to the doctor. They might get told, say it's IBS, it's very common. So, you know, they're just told to manage it and to stay away from the foods that trigger them. Those foods become longer. They, they become more chronically ill, so that inflammation becomes, you know, worse it's there longer so it is a little bit harder to then heal like obviously the longer something's been going on and there's a bit like an onion so you might think oh we look at this part of their um, digestive systems we might do some work on their small intestines to like help heal that so they can really absorb the nutrients they're not reacting to it but then we might find their skin flares up or like something else happens it's like getting headaches and we really need to then just treat each section as it comes up because it is this, we are quite complicated beings <laughs> we are a bit like onions and as sometimes one layer gets looked at we can find something else that might be underneath it so something like an elimination diet as you mentioned would be really good um, if we might be having symptoms that we can't necessarily pinpoint down to something but we know generally it's something to do with the gut so we can then take out some foods but I don't think it needs to be quite as scary as some people think when they think of an elimination diet there are some absolutely hectic ones out there and some people do need to go on those or what I would call a therapeutic diet which is a diet we put on for a short period of time to be able to heal someone and a FODMAP diet is one of those and that's what we usually get put on if someone gets told they've got IBS the idea with a FODMAP is its short term was you heal the gut. And unfortunately, many people go onto the FODMAP diet. They eliminate the foods that trigger their IBS, but they don't do the gut healing to be able to then get their gut health back. Because I find most people don't realize that gut healing and gut health are two, two totally different things. So when we yeah start stripping out 
those foods. A lot of the times the foods that do cause us a little bit of bloating and irritation are the ones that feed our microbiome that we need to be at its best. And the reason why it causes us bloating is because that microbiome is inflamed or our large intestines is inflamed or that microbiome is out of balance. So by taking out what we call, they're called um, probiotics, so no, prebiotics that feed our probiotics um, in our gut, we're actually then reducing the amount of good bacteria that we have in them. So again, we can get into this loop that just sees us being stuck in this chronically ill state. And I think for a lot of people with IBS, they don't feel like they're particularly ill or like someone has, you know, eczema. It's like, oh, it's, you know, it's a little bit scratchy on my skin and it might flare up and it's annoying, but they don't consider themselves ill but I mean if you have any of those conditions you're not living like a full life you might have to wear long sleeves in summer because you don't like the look of your skin if you've got eczema you can't go you know in winter you're like scratching yourself crazy and with IBS you might not go out with your friends as much or you get worried about you know if I'm out and I'm about to eat something am I going to have an attack like all of those things then continue to add to the stress of it and yeah, so a lot of this can be multifaceted and I just think if we can strip it back and really go to the root cause, we can heal so many of these conditions just by taking care of our gut, which I, I think is really nice. And whilst it might be a little bit uncomfortable to do an elimination diet or a therapeutic diet for, I don't know, even six months at the worst, to then have the rest of your life being able to go out and enjoy those things is 100% worth it. As someone who has done a few and I've actually put myself through quite a few of them. So I know exactly what my clients are in for. And also like, then I can give them suggestions on how to work it. Some of them are pretty hectic, but yeah, we can always get around how to fit it into people's lives. It makes it a little bit less scary. So some of the examples you gave like the coffee example, I could see mm-hmm. where you would get a pretty immediate result. Either your coffee goes right through you or your coffee doesn't. <laughs> yep. Um, but for some of these things like eczema, yep. how long do you go through this process before your skin starts reacting or stops reacting to whatever it is you're changing? It actually can be pretty quick. Um, so like eczema, um, we know eczema has a, a very like some really good research around it, particularly with gut health and particular foods that you eat. So <laughs> gluten is always seems to be one, but it is inflammatory. Like I know people will often roll their eyes and be like, oh, you're going gluten-free or something like that. But it actually, there's tight junctions that sit throughout our small intestines that kind of lines the whole lot. And when we eat gluten, those tight junctions that are meant to keep our food on one side of it and our body on the rest of it, on the other side of it, actually become a little bit looser. And it's something because it's called zoliolin in the actual uh, gluten that causes those tight junctions to increase a little bit. And it's through that increasing that it can cause then inflammation and allows other particles of food to get into our blood that's not meant to be there. And it causes this huge cascade that basically ends up in our skin reacting. It can also end up in different things. Um, But yeah, if we're talking about eczema, that's where it goes. So if we get rid of um, the gluten out of our diets, allow the tight junctions to come back, do some healing to decrease that inflammation 
Like you can honestly two to three weeks, depending on your level of inflammation, up to I would say six weeks, maybe three months at the absolute most. Um, children are a really good example. I have a niece that had eczema and we took out some food. So her triggers were dairy and gluten. So just like you just go for the big ones first, take those out, see how they go. Usually you can nail it and that's usually um, dairy, gluten, eggs can be a bit of a trigger, uh, soy, and sometimes nuts, not overly. Nuts tend to be more the, the respiratory tract, but it can be on our skin as well. But yeah, they're usually the big ones. So if you eliminate those, see how you go. See, or you can, um, the eczema will go down. And then if it's not going to be always all of those so you can add one back at a time that's where the elimination would come in so you take them out and then you say add back a little bit of gluten we don't want to give them like huge reactions and then just see what happens and once we're taking the other ones out then we take that back away let that inflammation go down again then we try a little bit of dairy and then yeah so then we can see exactly what the triggers are some people say you could do that with a food intolerance test but again, they can be a little bit um, not super sensitive in terms of like, what, did, what have you just eaten? What is the rest of your body doing at the time? So, and, you know, they can be up to sort of three, $400, depending on where you are in the world. So they can be a little bit more expensive when you could just, you know, spend three to six weeks doing that over over the course and then it's it's done but yeah so my niece literally I think within a week or two weeks she had gotten totally rid of her eczema um through doing that where someone that's had it for longer like you know she was two <laughs> so she hasn't had it as long as someone that you know has had it for much like I had someone with psoriasis but we ended up getting rid of that in four to six weeks so I don't think that that is a super long time. And when I say get rid of that, it's completely gone. So, you know, as we're seeing them over those four to six weeks, it's like, oh, it's less itchy. Oh, they're becoming smaller. Like the in psoriasis, they get like this hard kind of almost white like scab on it. Like that had started to disappear. So you start to see the improvements within a week. And that's because that microbiome literally can change within a week, good or bad. So you can, you know, I think that's the nice thing about the body too. It is always trying to keep you healthy and alive. You give it the right things, it will give you back great health. We just got to feed it the right things. Yeah, I think that that is so interesting. So you were talking about doing that elimination, but then you also talked about the therapeutic nature. So does that mean once you identify, like let's say it was gluten and you kept gluten Mm -hmm. out of your diet for a certain amount of time, can yep. you then go add gluten back and not get the eczema or the psoriasis again, or does it have to stay out forever? It, it totally depends on the person. So I have found um, some people can bring it back, but never to the extent they were having it. And that is the thing. So like they're always going to be a little bit reactionary to it. Um, those antibodies, our immune system has sort of flagged that as a bit of a invader in their system. So if they do eat it, they will get a little bit um, of a reaction, but it's more like a bucket. So, you know, say for gluten, they could go out um, with their girlfriends or you could be, you know, out on a, 
a date with your hubby or whatever and you have brunch and you've got a piece of sourdough or a piece of bread with your breakfast, completely fine if you haven't had it all week. But let's say you did that and then you went out for lunch and you had soup and a bread bowl and then you had pizza for dinner. Like You probably then have tipped the bucket over too much. So it depends, I think, on different people. And you would then just get a little bit of a flare. So like, you know, if for eczema, you might start getting a bit of the itch back, take it back out, you know, do a couple of the small gut healing things that we would have already spoken about and then you can go back to it. We tend to not get it to the extent, but it's one of those things that probably still has to be managed but allows you to still live your life, which is nice. Okay, so I have to ask this because it affects probably most of the people that listen, are you also saying that gut health is linked to how painful your period is? Absolutely. Yes. So how does that work? (laughs) Because I know I have three girls who all are miserable. So what are some things that we look for there? Uh, it actually comes from the inflammatory response. So that's where the gut is linked to the immune system. So when we have our period, it is actually quite inflammatory and we want it to be inflammatory to a point because it helps our wall of our uterus um, cramp a little bit to get rid of the blood. That is what we want. But it's when the, <laughs> those cytokines, that's the technical term for them, get a little bit too overactive and we've got too many of them there and that's when they start cramping too much. That is when it becomes painful. And that is linked back again to that inflammation and irritation in our gut because it then heightens our immune system. So therefore that response that we get is over heightened. So it all definitely comes back. So we just have this cascade, this kind of like perfect storm of too much inflammation going on in our body at the time. Mm. And that's where, and it's not always the best thing to tell people, but, you know, sugar in that second half of our period is not fantastic. And I'm not talking about leaving chocolate out because I tell people to eat chocolate in that second half of the period because the magnesium and the iron is amazing for us, but it is 80% and above chocolate. So when you look at the back of that packet, sugar is like, the second or third ingredient, not the first, where we get the cocoa or the cacao as the you know main ingredient, and that is what gives us. So it's not about you know getting rid of all those things that we love and you know those comfort foods because as we lead into a period, we actually do need a little bit extra calories, and a lot of people will then you know restrict that down always because they're feeling a little bit more bloated. So you know we can do yummy things like, I don't know, some like home-cooked buckwheat pasta or some, you know, chips that you've made yourself in the oven. Like you can do comfort foods without doing inflammation foods. So I think that is a big one is the sugar. Coffee can be a bit of a trigger there too. Unfortunately, I love coffee. Absolutely love the taste of it. For me, it's not about the energy. I just, oh, good cup of coffee is like a hug on the inside, what I call it. Um, so I understand, you know, giving that up or not giving that up, but again, not overdoing it in that period of time. Or if you know that you struggle, just take it out the week before and, you know, find an alternative. So for instance, I might use a, a milky chai tea because 
the spices in the chai can be very anti-inflammatory. You're still getting that nice milkiness that you get from a good coffee. So, yeah, we can do other things. Alcohol can be a bit of a, a trigger as well. And a little hack for you if you do have crampy periods, either a couple of days before or the day that your period starts, have three lots of 500 milligrams, so half a gram of ground ginger a day. And it is just as effective as anti-inflammatories. Wow. So interesting. I I don't have, you don't have the gut health problem with the anti-inflammatories. So yeah, the anti-inflammatories will, you know, add to the inflammation in your gut, but will slightly reduce your, that cramping period pain. But yeah, that ginger will help ease the inflammation in your gut, but also help ease the the cramping. So yeah, that's such a good hack, that one. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for all of these, all of this great information. If people want to connect with you or work with you, how do they find you? The best place to go would be my website, which is thenourishingway.com.au. Or I love being on Instagram, which is thenourishingway underscore. So yeah, I love my Instagram. So always connect with me over there. And are there any final thoughts you want to leave the audience with? Just really I would love to say, listen to your body whisper so it doesn't have to scream. So any of those symptoms that you're having, you might think that they're little or just because someone else tells you that maybe there's nothing there, you know your body. So please, please, please listen to your body whisper so it doesn't have to scream. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. It was fun talking to you. Yeah, it was so good. Thank you. Thank you for joining me for season four of Power Up Your Performance. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend, rate, review, and follow. Dream big and get out there and explore.